If you've got a church Bible, the first reading is on page 1123. Paul has been taken to Festus, who has to send him on to Rome, but doesn't actually have anything concrete to, you know, to pin on him. So when King Agrippa comes, he asks him to listen to Paul to see if he can see any, anything wrong with him. So as part of his defense, Paul says, I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished. And I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, King Agrippa, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground. And I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I asked, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Then moving on to Galatians chapter 1, beginning at verse 11. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I didn't receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it as a revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judea, Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, My immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, before I was, but I went into Arabia 
Later, I returned to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas, that is Peter, and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing to you is no lie. Then I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard of the report. The man who was formerly persecuting us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praise God because of me. Amen. Thanks very much, Jean. Good morning to you all. Let's um, pray before we look at God's word together, shall we? Father God, we do pray now that as we read and study your word together, you would reveal Jesus to us, you would reveal him in us, that you would shine the light of Christ into our hearts, that it would shine out from us, and people would see that your grace working in us and give you the praise as a result. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we've just um, heard in two different situations, Paul give a testimony of his faith in Jesus Christ. Um, they both took about a minute, minute and 15 to 30 seconds to, to read. And what I'd like us to do, just as we start this, um, this time together, um, I want you to turn to the person next to you. If you're a Christian here already this morning, just tell the person next to you, you've got a minute and 15 seconds to do this, um, how you came to faith. Um, then after a minute 15, change over, and the other person can share with you how they came to faith. Um, if you're someone here this morning who's not a Christian, um, great to have you with us. It's absolutely fine. It's lovely to have you. Um, if you want to just maybe say to the person next to you where you're at um, with Christianity, um, feel free to. Um, maybe why you're even here. That'd be great to do. Um, if you don't want to, that's not a problem at all. But give you one minute 15, and I'll we'll switch over, and the other person can share as well. Off you go. <laughs> Okay, time up. Hopefully you've managed to get across the main points in that limited time. But feel free at the end of the service if you feel you didn't quite get there, just to share something more. Um, that'll be good if you'd like to do that. Now, none of our testimonies may be as dramatic as um, that of Paul's. But that doesn't mean to say that they're of less importance. Each conversion... Um, whether or not you can remember the actual date of your conversion or whether it's just a gradual process, is still an example of the dramatic work of grace in our lives. In the life of somebody who was born a sinner, but at some point in their lives was born again spiritually. Two readings we heard were both accounts of Paul's conversion, but told in two different contexts. In the case of the one in Acts, it was Paul defending himself in court before King Agrippa, against charges that the Jewish leaders have brought against him. And interestingly, what Agrippa ends up saying, if I would carried on in that reading, he says um, to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Now, in the letter to the church in Galatia, Paul is defending his calling as an apostle, uh, since there are those there who are trying to challenge his authority. Uh, they're trying to tell them that they shouldn't be accepting what Paul is saying to them. 
And what we see in Paul's testimony is what we see in each of our testimonies, that as Christians, our lives have been changed. And they've been changed as we've heard the gospel and as we've responded to it. And changed not just in the sense of believing something to be true, but completely changing the way we live our lives. However sudden or gradual that conversion may have been, what Paul says about the process of his own conversion is true of each of us. And behind the whole process is the work of God. Paul describes his former way of life in verse 13 and 14, if you've got your Bibles open there. And then in verse 15 comes the trigger point. But God. But God. It's like the passage, if you just want to turn briefly with me to the next uh, book of the Bible, to Ephesians, and chapter 2. And Paul is now is applying this to everybody. So he says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. God is the one who's shown grace. So what has God done in the life of Paul? How has he shown that grace? And how has he done it in the life of every believer? Well, the first thing he's done is he's revealed his son to us, and he's revealed his son in us. As I said in his letter, Paul is defending his ministry against certain accusations. And so if you look at verse 11 and 12, this is what he says. He says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. The accusation that appears to be made against him here is that the gospel is that he is proclaiming is his gospel. Maybe it came through his own study and reflection and reasoning over a course of time. Maybe he was under the instruction of a, uh, of a human teacher. Maybe he'd misunderstood what the teacher had been telling him. Maybe he'd dozed off in one of those important lessons or something. But Paul was saying, the gospel wasn't taught to me by another human teacher. I received it directly from Jesus himself as did the other apostles. And that is why they had a special authority. He's saying, I didn't somehow earn the right to receive the gospel, to have it revealed to me. No, it was in verse 15, when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb, called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me. At that moment, as I was far as away from God as you could possibly imagine, And yet he chose to reveal his son in me. Not just to me, but but in me. Paul saw Jesus, but he also had his heart, his inner being illuminated by Jesus. And to reinforce this claim that he was not influenced by another human being, Paul carries on in verse 16. He says, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. 
I didn't go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I'm writing to you is no lie. So what he's saying is he received the gospel by direct revelation. He spent some time in Arabia, presumably uh, working that through, but maybe also starting to, to preach to the, uh, the Gentiles. But it was only then, after three years, that he went to Jerusalem and met up with uh, Cephas, that's Peter, and uh, James. Probably to make sure they were on the same page, to make sure the gospel that they were preaching was the same gospel revealed by Jesus Christ. The key thing is that the revelation came from Jesus and it was about Jesus. God had opened Paul's eyes to see. And the symbolism of that was made quite dramatic, wasn't it? In that blinding light that he received on the road to Damascus, which caused him to fall to the ground. For three days he was literally blind. And then his sight was restored to him. He was healed of his physical blindness, and at the same time, he was healed of his spiritual blindness. And now his mission was to go to the Gentiles and to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light. So if we should have had Jesus revealed to us, how's that happened? It's not just that we've come to church and heard the gospel. Because not everybody who comes to church and hears the gospel has the gospel revealed to them. It's not also a question of somehow intellectually understanding what the gospel message is all about. It is a spiritual revelation. It's when we understand that the sinners that Jesus came to to save are not this abstract group of people out there. They, they're you and me. The good news of salvation is not just some sort of um, theory. It is something that we all need, and we need it now. I don't know when that moment of revelation was for you. And maybe, as I say, it wasn't a, a moment. Maybe it was a gradual process. But if you are a Christian, it means at some point in your life, your eyes have been opened by God to see Jesus. And the reason he did that for us, as it says here, was for his pleasure. Look at verse 15. But when God, as it carries on, was pleased to reveal his son... God has revealed his son to us, not because of anything in us, not because we've somehow deserved it, but because of his love for us and because of the great pleasure he takes in revealing his son to us. But the amazing thing is that before all this happened, before God revealed his son in us, he'd had it all planned. He'd had it all worked out. He was the one in verse 15, who set me apart, Paul says, from my mother's womb and called me by his grace. That was part of God's plan. Now, as humans, we're all making plans all the time, aren't we? Um, maybe something as simple as, what are we going to eat this week? It may be some new DIY project that you're planning. Um, for the younger people, it may be actually, what are you going to do with the rest of your lives? That is a big, exciting plan, isn't it? As elders yesterday, as well as you said, we were planning where we're going as a church. What do we need to be doing? 
Now, the difference between our plans and uh, God's plans is um, that his plans are perfect. Psalm 19 says, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. In Romans 12, we're told God's will is good, pleasing, and perfect. Whereas our plans are full of holes, aren't they? Because we, we can't see into the future. It's not wrong to make plans, but we just need to hold on to them lightly because God may direct us in different directions in the course of time. God's plan, though, is perfect. And part of his plan was to call us and to set us apart. Now, Paul had a special calling. It was to preach the gospel among the Gentiles. And, uh, but even when he was persecuting Christians, God still had that plan for him. For the day when he would change him and set him apart to do his work. And it's an encouragement, isn't it, to know that in those situations where all we can see is evil, that God is still at work. Do you remember the story of Joseph in, uh, in Genesis? who was sold by his brothers into slavery. How he ended up in Egypt, he was imprisoned. Now, God hates injustice, doesn't he? But he allowed that to happen. Because at the right moment, he was the one able to interpret dreams, to be made the right-hand man of Pharaoh. He was the one that looked after all the grain stores of Egypt. So when his brothers came many years later in a time of famine, he was the one who they came to. And what did he say to them? As they realized who he was, as they threw themselves down and begged for forgiveness, he said, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Now, of course, God's greatest plan was his plan of salvation, wasn't it? And nothing was going to stop that plan. And he even used evil people to, to accomplish his plan. As Peter explained to the crowd of Pentecost and Acts, he said, This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Now, God may have set Paul apart for a special ministry, but whether we have a, a special ministry or not is, is not important. What is important is that as Christians, God has set each one of us apart. He's called us as his people. We belong to him. And he did that before we were born because he loves us. That was part of his plan. Verse coming up here from Ephesians again. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his perfect will. So his plan for, for, for us started with choosing, setting us apart. It involved revealing Christ to us. It involved redeeming us from slavery to sin paying the price for our freedom, the price that was the death of Jesus on the cross, which we'll be celebrating shortly. But his ongoing plan for us is to, to change, to transform our lives. It's an ongoing transformation to make us more like Christ. Before Paul had his eyes opened, he had zeal. 
He was very zealous, but it was zeal for something completely different. Have a look at verses 13 and 14 in which he describes his former way of life. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism before many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. Now remember where these false teachers are coming from. They're trying to persuade the Christians here in Galatia that they need to comply with all the the Old Testament Jewish laws if they're going to be truly saved. And Paul's making clear to them that he once was a committed Jew. And more than that, he was a, a rising Jewish leader. He understands all the the Jewish regulations. Twice he talks about his former life as being in Judaism. He wasn't just a nominal Jew. He was extremely zealous, it says here, for the traditions of his fathers. Now look how he contrasts that position of Jews with the church of God. Because at the root of that word church is a people who've been called out. Set apart, in other words, as God's people. To be a Jew, he's saying, does not automatically make you a member of God's people. You need to receive the gospel of grace. You need to receive Jesus Christ. The true people of God now, he's saying, are those who've been called to live in the grace of Christ. Now, not only was Paul a, a, um, a zealous Jew, but he intensely persecuted the church of God. He was trying to destroy it. It wasn't a one-off act. This was a a life committed to that, to see the church of God destroyed. In that passage from Acts, Paul says, I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. He'd go out of his way to destroy Christians. And ironically, the same time as he was persecuting the church of God... He was advancing in Judaism, as if the two somehow go hand in hand. But just as you you write him off as a no-hoper, as somebody who's impossible to change, as far away from God as you can possibly get, God steps in. Paul is an example of someone you could um, easily write off as being beyond the power of the gospel. Nothing could melt his cold-heartedness, his arrogance, his cruelty, his perversion. But what Paul is saying here now, in the words of Tim Keller, is that no one is so good that they don't need the grace of the gospel, nor so bad that they can't receive the grace of the gospel. The amazing thing about the story of Paul is that God converted the person who was the cause of all the evil. He could have just removed Paul, punished him in the the way he deserved, but God chose to have mercy on him and amazingly use him for the extension of his kingdom. Look at verse 16. God was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the the Gentiles. Paul, who previously tried to stop the spread of the gospel, is now going to promote the spread of the gospel. Paul, who previously persecuted Jesus, is now going to proclaim Jesus. 
Now, though this is an amazing story of transformation, it's not unique. It continues to happen today, time after time. As the power of the gospel changes the hearts of those you would think are beyond changing. Some of you may have read this book, um, Out of the, the Black Shadows. Um, tells the story of uh, Stephen Lungu, who grew up in uh, uh, Zimbabwe, was uh, Rhodesia at the time. Had a tough childhood, was abandoned by his, uh, his parents. Um, age 11, he was already on the streets. Um, by the age of 14, he formed a gang of other homeless boys, and they would went, go about um, attacking people, stabbing them, robbing them, raping women. That was at the age of 14. Later, he became a, a terrorist leader. Uh, it was a time, obviously, of white rule in, in Rhodesia. And there was one particular incident when uh, he and his, uh, his, his gang um, took their homemade bombs to go and bomb uh, a bank. And on the way, they came across this, uh, this big evangelistic meeting, a tent um, full of people, thousands, thousands of people, where there was an evangelistic meeting going on. And they worked out their plan. Um, they were going to bomb this, this tent, this meeting. As people came out, they would just shoot, shoot them. Five minutes before the, uh, the agreed time, he thought, well, I'll just pop inside this tent and just see what's going on. As he went inside, he listened to uh, what he describes as a, a beautiful uh, South African girl give her testimony of how the love of Christ had changed her. And then the, uh, the evangelist gets up and uh, quotes from Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It was the moment for him of a dramatic change in his life. He was changed forever and uh, became a very influential evangelist over the years. And um, later on, many years later, there was apparently one meeting when this frail elderly woman smelling of, of alcohol came up to him and asked for prayer. And he prayed for her, he healed her. And um, turned out that this, uh, this woman was his mother, the one who'd rejected him as a child at the age of three. It left him standing outside at a marketplace when she disappeared. Now, I'm sure we will all know people who are quite anti the gospel, anti Christianity. Uh, those who try to talk to you about your faith and the shutters go up, they're just not interested. But remember, no one is beyond God's transforming power. In the same way he had mercy on us, he could choose to have mercy on that person we know who is far from him. If you are someone who has trusted the death in Christ, that it was for you in order to, for you to be forgiven, to receive life, then you have been changed. You are continuing to change from within. Whatever your zeal was then, you now have a new zeal, a zeal for Jesus Christ. What I'll say as we finish is don't hide your zeal. Don't be ashamed of your zeal. Let people see your zeal. Because we're told right at the end of this passage that was read for us in verse 23, when people heard about Paul's transformation, they said, the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And Paul says, and they praise God because of me. People might not have known what we were like before we came to faith. 
And so they can't see that change. But we can tell them about the change that Christ has meant for us, how he's changed our lives, how we now have a new zeal. Let them see that zeal and let them praise God because of us.